Great to be with you this morning. Stephanie and I just returned from Kauai. You can all say, oh, don't be jealous. We were there for uh, Hudson Bunchu's wedding. Uh, Hudson's our young adult pastor, married Chloe Kanopoulos, and uh, they're celebrating with them. And then it perfectly fell in line with our 20-year anniversary, so we were celebrating that too. Uh, thank you. And again, uh, it's all me that we made it 20 years, right, Steph? No, not at all. All her. Um, but it was a wonderful trip. And one of the things I love about the Lord is that you're on this journey with him. And he has new seasons for you to come into and new revelation for you to understand. And that was very clear on this trip for us that God was unpacking something very specific for us. When we went, we, um, Hudson is the son of Rick Bunchu. Rick is the pastor of Kauai Christian Fellowship. And so we were with their church community. We went and we were immediately at the rehearsal dinner. And Steph and I had the, the opportunity to sit with some of Hudson's aunties. And uh, we, we, you know, we asked them their last name and we found out, okay, these aren't his real aunts, but yet he came over to the table and called them auntie. And, and as they explained, they were both from the mainland and had moved over and now had been there for years, Hudson's whole life. And they said, you know, most people move over from the mainland, but they get island fever. But they said, we found this rich community here and have been part of it. And basically, we all raised our, our children together and we're like this tribe. And so Steph and I, with a deep heart for community, started asking them question after question. And it was beautiful what they unpacked to us. Well, two nights later, we're at the wedding and we were with one of our church members, uh, different ones from the wedding party were from our church. And so Nate and Jules and Nate grew up on the island as well. And, and so he was talking about the rich community that they had. And so Steph asked him, so what made the community so rich in this church that you grew up in? And he said something interesting. He said, you know, this is a small island. And so what we had to do is you're stuck with each other. So you have to purpose to get over your differences to find common ground. You actually have to be purposeful to get over your differences or you're just gonna be frustrated all the time. You know, it was interesting to hear these purposeful decisions that people had made in order to come together in community. Well, it was clear that God was talking about community to us because that night, both Steph and I had a dream. And in both of our dreams, we were with Kendall and Shelly Laughlin. Now, Kendall and Shelly, if you don't know, moved out to start All People's Church with us. Kendall's our executive pastor here. He's actually in a different city preaching today. But in Stephanie's dream, her and Shelly were up on this high mountain and experiencing this, the, this peace and joy. And Steph experienced in this high mountain the presence of God. Now, what was interesting is below her, she was looking down at a famous designer. And this famous designer had built this extravagant house where Shelly and Stephanie were, was something very, very simple. And there was this extravagant house down below and this extravagant pool being built and it would cost tons of money. But Stephanie realized, this is where I want to be. I want to be in this high place with my friend in the presence of God. She woke up and told me, I said, that's crazy. Because I had a dream, we were with Shelly, uh, Shelly and Kendall. And in our dream, I was in awe because their daughter, who's about four years old right now, she had grown up. 
And she was now 16, and she was this beautiful, graceful girl. And her name in real life is Liberty. But in my dream, I kept saying, Liberty has grown up. Liberty has grown up. Well, when I sought the Lord, immediately our theme verse of our church came to mind, which is this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, this is Luke 4.18, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed. You know, it was clear to me that as we were walking in community, liberty was growing up. Then God gave me another dream, and it was a little more poignant. In this dream, there was an 18-wheeler, and there was a cab, and in this cab were these people who had taken community captive. They had actually taken people from our church captive. And I knew it was my job to run up and open up the trailer behind. It was kind of like an Indiana Jones old World War II truck. And I opened up the canvas, and I was letting people get out and free. And the first person I let out, I recognized it was a person who used to be a part of this church. But someone had said some, some stuff that hurt her feelings, and so she had left. And what I knew was that I was supposed to go on this long walk with her to let her just pour out her heart and share and I wasn't supposed to say anything except just absorb that pain. By the time we got to the end of the walk and we were back, that burden had lifted off of her and she was re into community. I knew then I was supposed to go up to the captors and the captors in the truck, I knew it was gonna be a lot more dangerous and I knew that they symbolized bitterness. And I went and sure enough, they, they pulled a weapon on me but they didn't shoot, and I, I pulled it away, and again, I took another person out, and it, it was another person who had been a part of the church, but through offense, someone had, had said something hurtful to this person. This person had left, but again, I walked along this long journey with them, just listening and loving, and by the time we came to the end, that weight had lifted, and they were healed, and they were reconciled. You know, bitterness destroys community. Bitterness destroys community, and we're in a season, church, where God is wanting to rebuild the body of Christ. He's wanting to bring people who have distanced themselves or have been hurt, and he wants us to bring them back in. And God is wanting to build community, and community is actually found in a high place in the presence of God. And that's what I want to unpack today with actually the person I see in the Bible who next to Jesus was used to create the most amazing community. It's actually found in the Old Testament. And this is an unlikely person. He was a young man who was out in the fields. He was a shepherd named David. And if you don't believe me, I, I want to start by just looking a little forward in his life in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and look at the community he built. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were there with him. Now, two points I want to make. The first is the type of place that community can be created. So many times we have this ideal place that we think, if I could just be there, I could have community, right? Uh, some of you grew up watching reruns of the Andy Griffith show, right? And so we think, oh, if I could just be in Mayberry, 
in May- Mayberry where everyone's sweet, everyone knows each other. I just need to be in that little town, and that's where we could create community. Some of you grew up like me watching Say by the Bell, and you think, if I could just be in the Max, you know, that, that restaurant where Screech and Slater and Zach and, and all of them hang out, then I'll have community. Or if I could just be at Cheers Bar, where everyone knows your name, I could have community there. Here is what I noticed about where David's community started. It was in a cave. It was in the cave of Adullam. David was running from being hunted down by Saul, the evil king, and yet the place that community formed was a cave. Can I tell you that community can form anywhere? It can form in your office. It can form at your military base. It can form at your school. It can form in your neighborhood. It can form in the inner city. It can form in the suburbs. It can form in a parking lot. We don't have to have the ideal place for community. But the second thing I see is this. What type of people can God use to form a community? Because this community, David formed what was known as David's mighty men. And they were known as the most loyal people. They came together, they did these amazing exploits, they were used by God, and they became the backbone of Israel in its golden era of prosperity. This was this unbelievable, loyal, faithful, healthy community. But who did God use? to form it. You know, we often think, well, I just need this perfect people, or at least I need people who have my same hobbies. I'm a surfer, so if I can just gather enough surfers, then we'll have community. Oh, I'm a, I'm, you know, a baseball player. If I can just get all the people who love baseball, or whatever your hobby is, or if I can just gather a lot of people that look like me, right? I just need a bunch of 40-year-old men, and then we'll all finally get each other and finally have community because you understand what it's like. What did God use to form community? This is who he brought together. Listen to this and be encouraged. All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? You know, I really learned this with how God built all people's church. God didn't send us to uh, a super affluent area. He didn't send us to to a a place uh, that, that, that you could have thought, well, everyone's going to have the same hobby, the same pastime, look the same. The first group of people we, we reached was a, a, a bunch of total party people. I mean, not, not the type of people you'd think you're going to start a church with, just people that are constantly throwing keg parties. Then the second group we, we brought into our home was a bunch of street kids from, from the inner city, from Rosa Parks down here in City Heights, and, and people of all different, different uh, backgrounds that were mostly living on the street. And then, then we finally had some families starting to come, and I thought, okay, well now there's finally probably gonna be some stability. And the crazy thing is I found out every single family that came in, they were bankrupt, like everyone. Like, God, how are you gonna take care of this church? Like, everyone is bankrupt here. The women that, that were in our church, we found, Steph and I, as we spent time with them counseling, we found that over 80% of our women had been abused. There was tremendous pain. I found that almost every single man that I met with that came into our church, they hadn't just grown up a, a squeaky clean churchgoer. Almost all of them had gotten way too into drugs and it had blown parts of their life. And so I was complaining to the Lord. 
Have you ever complained to the Lord about the people around you? No, no, you're church people here. I was complaining to the Lord. God, how are we going to build a church? Everyone's, everyone's in debt. Everyone's in distress. And God took me to the scripture and said, Robert, this is how I build Christian community. This is how I build New Testament community. Why? Because when these people find God, when these people are accepted in community, they are thankful and they become loyal. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes the people that are most willing to do the craziest things for the Lord are the ones who've been forgiven the most? They've been redeemed from the craziest lives. Why is that? Because they understand just how good God is to them. And so out of those in debt, distressed, discontented, God was bringing the mighty men. Why were they so loyal to David? Because they knew David didn't want them just because of their giftings or their possessions or what they could do for David. They understood that David loved them for who they were. I want to tell you, when you start accepting and loving people, not by what they have, but who they are, you start creating an actual New Testament unconditional love community. And that's what we want to see here. Now, let me jump into the story because I want to take you into the beginning of David's life because God actually appointed David to be this leader of his community, his chosen people named Israel. And I want to study this with you for a second because there's these wonderful things we're going to learn. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Now, who's Samuel? Samuel is the prophet. Samuel is the spiritual leader of Israel. So this is the Old Testament. Now the Israelites, God's chosen people, have a spiritual leader, kind of like a pastor, kind of like a speaker. And the speaker, the pastor, the, the preacher was to anoint a king. Saul had been the first king, and Saul was this strapping, strong warrior type. But God ends up rejecting him because he didn't depend on God. He depended on his own strength. So God says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Now fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Now a horn was actually a ram's horn. They filled it with oil and in a coronation service or ceremony, the prophet would pour it on someone's head denoting that they were the new king. So God's telling Samuel, I'm sending you to someone new to anoint a new king. But then he says something crazy. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Now this is crazy because Bethlehem wasn't the Los Angeles or the Washington DC or the New York City or even the San Diego of the day. Bethlehem was a town of about 600. So imagine you just keep driving east, you get to some little town, not on the, even on the 8 freeway, and that's where you find the person who's going to lead community. Can I tell you that God can find anyone anywhere to lead community? You don't have to have the right pedigree. You don't have to be from the right family. In fact, Jesse's family, Jesse wasn't a wealthy family. This wasn't a prominent family. He was, it was a little unknown family in a little unknown place. And God says, I'm sending you there. God can find you anywhere. Now watch this next thing. It says, when they arrived, Samuel, the prophet, saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is one of the most powerful and one of the most convicting scriptures in all the Old Testament. Guys, we, we are so outwardly focused, aren't we? I mean, if, if you don't think so, then why is Instagram like the number one social media and TikTok? We, we are so enamored with the outward appearance. I mean, how many times do you, does, does someone walk in? You know, in, in last service was a, a football coach. I, I asked him, how many times does someone walk in and they're just this brute six, five, one solid muscle and we're like, yes, my team is gonna make it next season. You know, or you're a teacher and, and the, the student sits down and they're just perfectly orderly and their pencils are sharpened and their glasses and you're like, yes, I've got one. You're looking, this is my student who's gonna make a 1500 on the SAT, right? Or, 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 or you're, you're, you're an employer and someone comes into the job and they just have the perfectly pressed shirt. Maybe they even have a suit on. The woman's skirt is just perfectly pressed, perfect matching shoes and you're like, Yes, this is my anointed employee. My business is safe. We look at the outward appearance. We are so prone to looking at the outward appearance or the gifting. I love the scripture though, because it says this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Why do I love this so much? I find very few of us that are actually content with our outward appearance, right? And can we just be honest here? Most of us look in the mirror and we're like, oh, if I could just like crank my nose or, you know, like, oh, press in this little gut here, right? If I could just, whew, just grow a little more up here. Yeah, whatever it is, the vast majority of us are frustrated. We look at our, we're like, I, I wish I could just jump higher or surf better or do this more, just a little smarter. And I love that scripture says, the Lord's not looking at the outward appearance. Because you know what? We really can't control much of our outward appearance. I mean, you could go to plastic surgeon and stuff, but, but you know what you can control? You can control your heart. So the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Guys, it's time in the body of Christ to stop judging by the outward appearance, to stop looking at this person because they look like they're going to be the best student, because they look like they're going to be the best athlete, because they know how to talk. They know what to say and say, no, I am going to look at the heart. That is how you create a godly community. Now, this this is crazy to me because it's, it's actually a little startling because God actually says to, of Eliab, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Wow. You ever seen that in the Bible with God rejecting someone? I, I, this is not what it's saying. It's not saying like that, that you can't be saved, that, that God's not gonna forgive your sins. No, that's a free gift. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. If you'll just call out to him, he'll save you. But the one he actually puts forward as a community creator 
That's one type, and he actually rejects another. Like, I'm not going to have him be the leader of my people, even though he has the appearance, the height, the gifting. And so I want to know, what does it say about him? So actually this morning, what we're going to spend the majority of our time doing is comparing two different characters, David, a community creator, and Eliab, a community killer. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at attributes of a community creator versus attributes of a community killer. I'd encourage you to write these down and ask yourself, am I more of a community creator or am I more of a community killer? So let's jump into this next chapter where we actually start seeing these two men in action. It says, now David was the son of an Ephaphrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, we just talked about him, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. Now, who's the Philistine? The Philistine is Goliath. Typically, when a pastor talks about this story. He's going to talk about little David and how he was used to, to defeat mighty Goliath. And although that's a great story, I want, to cre- I want to call out something very different today about community creators versus community killers, because it's a, sub, it's a sub story in this text. So Goliath, the big giant, comes out. He's the Philistine. He's on one mountain. He's threatening the people of Israel. On the other side is Israel. They're looking at the Philistines. They're all scared about Goliath. David's three brothers have come to fight. David doesn't get to be a soldier there. David's back tending sheep, and we're going to see what he's doing. Says this, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, took a stand. Now Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. So David's father says, take this charcuterie board to serve your brothers. Okay, they're the soldiers, you're the waiter. See how your brothers are. And bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brother how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now I want to do something a little unique. I actually want to take out from here the attributes we see in David because from an early age, we see the attributes of a community creator. The attributes of a community creator, I highly encourage you to write these down. Number one, a community creator is humble. A community creator is humble. If you want to draw people to you, if you want to be a a person with friends, 
Let me tell you something that will repel people is pride. But what draws people? Humility. Humility is one of the most attractive qualities a human can have. And this is amazing because David didn't have to be humble. Don't you remember what happened in the last chapter? He, out of all of Israel, was anointed king. Right? So something good happens. What, what do we do when something good happens to us? Man, we immediately take a selfie. And we put it on Instagram. We put it on every social media. And we go, oh my gosh, look at this. We can't do anything. We can't, nothing good can happen to us. If we don't post it, it's like it didn't even happen. But David, instead, he, he's not going around talking. To me. He, you won't see him go around telling one person that he was just anointed king. Okay? Instead, what do you see him doing? This is, this is just crazy because this brings me to the next point. He's, he's a servant. Okay? If you want to be a community creator, you become a servant. You become a servant. Now, a king... You know, a lot of times people would love to be a king or they'd love to be a billionaire. Why? Because you have so many servants. Oh, I have someone cook for me. I have someone wash my car for me. I have someone clean my house for me. You know, David had just been anointed king, but he doesn't demand the rights as a king. What does he do? He goes from being anointed king right back to the sheepfold, and he's taking care of sheep. That is a dirty job. That is a gross job. I grew up on a little ranch in Texas. Man, being around the animals, they stink. They have ticks. It's dirty. It's dusty. It's not the place for a king. And yet David didn't think he was too great just because he had some mighty call on his life. He didn't go posting it. He didn't go telling everyone. Instead, he was willing to do the lowly thing. You know, the people I know that create community around them are the ones that get up and serve other people. They're the ones that have friends over and then they, they're actually attentive. Uh, and, and they're immediately, I, I've been around you know, numerous people and, and, and it's crazy. I've been around some, some actually very wealthy people who instead of demanding other people to serve, they're the ones that get up and serve. They're the ones that are actually looking to other people's needs. You know, you can be the, the poorest person, you can be the wealthiest person and still be a servant. But a servant is what creates community. A, a, a servant looking to other people's needs. That's the kind of person that people want to be around, someone who's actually attentive to others. That's the model of Jesus. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2, that he humbled himself and became nothing. So many people want to be a celebrity because then people will gather around them. But that's not a community. That's a groupie. And as soon as you run out of your celebrity status, that group goes somewhere else. So many people want to be super wealthy, but that's not a true community. That's, that's a group. That's a, 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 a little feeding fish off of a shark trying to get something. But the second the money's gone, they're gone. That's what happened to the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. As soon as his money was gone, his community was gone. But a servant, people want to be around a servant because they know that they'll be taken care of. Now look at the next the next attribute, honoring of authority, it says this, that David loaded up and set out just as Jesse directed, as Jesse directed. Now, here's what we usually think. I mean, we're all guilty of this. Man, I'll honor that. I'll, if, once I find the perfect authority, then I'll honor them. You know, if I, if I just found the perfect life group leader, yes, then I would be honoring. If I had the perfect boss, if my boss was nicer, then I wouldn't talk bad about them. 
right? If my teacher was a better teacher, then I would actually honor what my teacher said. If my coach, if my coach like actually saw me and was kind. You know, David had every excuse to not honor his father. You, you, you know the story, right? When the prophet Samuel came in town, like this is the most known religious leader of the whole country. This is like, imagine Francis Chan coming to your house. Okay, so Francis Chan visits, and you're, you're, you're back with your parents, and your parents don't call you to the party. That's what Jesse did to David. David he had eight sons. He brought seven to the party, had them all pass through. Samuel actually has to ask, is there anyone else? He said, yeah, the youngest, but he's out with the sheep. Can you imagine? Like your parents make you stay out with the dog? Right? Yeah, there's the youngest, but they're out cleaning up after the little puppy. Right? And he will call the youngest one. This, this son was rejected by his father, and yet what do we see him doing next? We see him honoring. We don't wait until we have the perfect authority. Don't wait until you have the perfect captain if you're in the military. Don't wait until you have the perfect parents to honor your parents. Don't wait until you have the perfect teacher or the perfect boss. Honor them now because honor begets honor. You will reap what you sow. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything. I'm not saying do anything sinful, but I am saying honor authority because every community, has, God has put, every healthy community, God has put leaders in there and there are no perfect leaders. The last one, last attribute I see in David's life of a community creator is genuine concern for others. Says this, David left the things with the keepers of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. Now you're gonna see in a second how David's oldest brother treated him, and I bet you anything, it wasn't the first time he treated him poorly. But you know, David still had concern for others. You need to ask yourself, am I concerned for others? If you struggle with having friends in life, it might be because you're not going into relationships thinking about other people. Let me tell you how to make a friend. Ask someone else how they're doing. Don't just talk about yourself. Right? I mean, and some of us weren't taught this by, by our, our, our parents. Or some of us, I, I, I meet so many people that they say, yeah, my parents didn't have friends. But you know what? That's why a church, it families, it reparents. So, so please listen to this. If you want to have a friend, you need to go to other people, introduce yourself, but ask them how they're doing. Ask them about their life. Make sure in conversation that you listen more than you talk. Okay, I should, everyone should be writing this frantically right now because this will change your life right here. Right? Because people love to have someone that they can tell actually cares about them, that actually wants to hear. And, and, and let me just take it up another level. Actually try to remember what they said. You really want to be a friend? Ask them the next week about what they told you the week before. Okay, you want to take it up on either another level? Pray for that issue. Okay, and then you come back and say, yeah, I prayed for that. How did that go? Oh, my goodness. That is a community creator, someone who has a genuine interest in the lives of others. This is so different than what we're going to see in the life of Eliab. David's older, older brother, his taller brother, his stronger, his better-looking brother. I want you to look at what Eliab did. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, 
He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Man, this is a classic community killer right here. But I want to show you these attributes because, to be quite honest, we all can fall into these attributes that Eliab has. I mean, these just come straight from the flesh of an ordinary man or woman. So let's look at attributes now of a community killer. I highly encourage you to write these down so that you can evaluate them and you can walk away from them. Attribute one is anger. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. Nothing drives people apart more than anger. I mean, anger, think about it. Anger is why marriages end. Anger is why best friends split apart. Anger is why people leave churches. Anger is why people walk away. Anger is why people decide to live alone because they're angry at how they were treated, at what people said. They're angry at what people didn't do or what they did do to them. Anger is the number one community killer. And let me just tell you, men and women of God, every one of us has to deal with anger. The Bible says this, in your anger, do not sin. What does that tell me? It tells me that every one of us, at one point or the other, is gonna be made angry. Some of you were angry coming to church today, right? Because someone in your family was taking too long, right? It's like one of the number one angers. Or you got cut off coming to church, or someone sat in your row at church, right? Or someone, someone didn't say something that, that you liked. We have to deal with anger. Number two, number two, judgment. Judgment, being judgmental of motives. He asked him, why did you come down here? Why did you come down? I know, I know what you're all about. You know, it's, it's human nature to judge. The sad thing for me is when you ask a non-Christian what they think about Christians, the number one word I hear is judgmental. Guys, that should not be. Jesus, it says in Luke 15, that all the tax collectors and all the sinners and the prostitutes were gathered around him. That's, that's God on earth and all these people. Why? Why? Because judgment is in the heart of people. Man, 2020 was a year of judging. My goodness. Judgmental of people's actions and hearts and attitudes. And judgment kills. I, I, I mean, haven't you, haven't you noticed that about yourself? Right? That you, can, you don't even have to work to judge people. Like, you're just sitting there. You don't have to go like, oh, okay, now I'm going to conjure up some judgment. No. Someone just passes you in front of you, and you're like, that person. They're so prideful how they were walking, you know, they're walking like this, like, they're so prideful. No, they hurt their knees surfing yesterday. But you're judging them because of the, the way they swag, right? You know, you're, 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 you're looking at them and you're like, that person, they, they hate me. No, they don't hate you. They just have to go to the bathroom really bad. Right? You're like, oh, they just, they're glaring at me. No, no, they're not glaring. Oh, that person wasn't paying attention. Well, yeah, they weren't paying attention because something bad happened so hard this morning that they're just trying to survive and they barely made it to church because someone just did something so horrible. And it's not because they're just trying to blow you off. It's because there's so much pain in their heart and they barely made it. 
I remember this story of, of this guy sitting on a subway, and these kids are out of control, and they're uh, uh, affecting everyone, and so people are mad, and so finally someone just decides, okay, I'm going to be the bigger human, and they go up and rebuke the guy and said, don't you see that your kids are out of control? He says, I'm so sorry. Their mother just died this morning, and I was glad that they had their mind on something else. We don't know what's going on in a person's heart. We don't know why their facial expression is like that. We don't know why they're, they're acting insecure or why they're not being nice, but we need to stop judging. And let, let me explain to you one of the habits of, of the seven habits of highly affected people, Stephen Covey. It's a great book. It's not a Christian book, but there are a lot of godly principles in it. He says, seek to understand first. Now, in a community, people are going to say things that hurt you, or they're going to do things that frustrate you, but instead of going and immediately saying, you're like this, or you're like this, what we need to do is go to them and say, would you help me understand? Like, I, I, really, want to, I, I really want to believe the best, so would you help me understand? And you actually give them a chance to explain their heart instead of saying, you always, or you never. I want to tell you how to, how to hurt community is go to someone and say, you're always this way or you're never like this. That's a great way to immediately put someone on guard. But when you, you go up to someone and say, help me understand, and say it with a, a loving tone. Pray about it. See, the, God wants to empower us to have Jesus-like community. Here's another one. Number three, community killer is to be demeaning. Eliab looks at David, and he insults him. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You want to kill community? Then insult people. Take jabs at people. Right, this is something. Parents, you got to train your kids to be kind to people. We say, you know, oh, I just, I just want to be like the kids. No, you don't. Man, kids can be vicious, can't they? Right? They can be hard on each other. And so we've got to train. We, and, and we've got to put a guard on our tongue. Church should be the one place that people go to where they know they're not going to be exalted, where they know they're not going to be jabbed, where they know that they're not going to be cut down. But that's what Eliab did. He cut him down and he belittled him for his, his, his work. Who did you leave those few sheep with? You're not important, you're insignificant. You know, a, a true community accepts people not based on their merit, not based on their job, not based on their finances, not based on their giftings, but based on the content of their heart. Look at this last one. Slander. Slander's a community killer. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You know, trying to trying to actually make him have a bad reputation, to make him known for something else. Slander and gossip will kill a community. And we've got to take that out. We've got to eradicate that from our place. This has got to be a place of acceptance and love and graciousness. You know, it's, it's like the Apostle Paul, the writer of the New Testament, was studying the story of David and Eliab when he wrote this to the Colossians. He's trying to help them have a loving church, and he wrote this. But now, you must also rid yourselves of all such things. What does that mean, rid yourselves? It means they're gonna be in you. Like the same things that were in Eliab were gonna be in you. So you gotta rid yourself. You gotta make a decision. 
right? You, you can't just go after your flesh. You can't just do what, what, what just comes out of you. That's not going to work. He goes, you got to rid yourselves of these. Anger, rage, malice, slander. I mean, these are the exact things that Eliab was doing. He was angry. He had rage against David. He was slandering. He had malice in his heart. Filthy talk from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Now watch this. Since you've taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now here's a secret that you might not have ever seen about David because so oftentimes we just think, well, that person, they were just chosen and, and they're just kind of a freak and they're just the golden child and just how they were born, they were just born amazing. Do you know the interesting thing about David? I never hear anybody talk about this. Something powerful happened to him before he defeated Goliath. Something happened to him before he responded like this to Eliab, before he went to serve his brothers. And do you know what it was? It's this. Look at this in verse six, chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, listen to this. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. In the Old Testament, there were just a few people that actually had the Spirit of the Lord come upon them. Like it was the prophet, or it was the king, like David. And then what happened? They were able to do something amazing. Like David didn't go and just immediately become king. No, he went back to be a shepherd. But what he did do, the spirit of God came powerfully on him and he was able to start treating his brothers a certain way. And he was able to start creating community and he was able to defeat Goliath. He was able to slay a giant. Why? Because the spirit of God came on him. Listen to what it says to us, to all of us. In Colossians 3, 12, the next verses. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, how is it saying and do this? It's saying, listen. In the Old Testament, just a few people had the Spirit of God come on them. But listen, brother and sister, in the New Testament, it's all of us. If you just will admit you're a sinner, and if you'll cry out for Jesus to save you, he not only washes your sins away. A lot of churches talk about he washes our sins away. But there's something else that happens. He actually takes off the old self, and he allows you to have a new self. Born of the Holy Spirit. He actually puts his Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is the God of the impossible. And so the Holy Spirit lets you return love for anger. Because guess what? Someone's going to offend you in this church. I guarantee you. They might not even mean to. Like, I, I, I mean, I've heard of all kinds of offenses, and the person, like, totally didn't mean to do it. They did, this person didn't get invited to a party. It's just because they forgot. This person said something awkward about, about their ethnicity. They, weren't, they were just trying to make conversation. They didn't mean it. You're going to get offended. But if you, if you walk in the Holy Spirit, and he empowers you, then love flows out, and you're able to forgive, just like Jesus forgave you of so much more. 
We need the Holy Spirit to come. We need the Holy Spirit so then we can be clothed, like David, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's not about being the golden child, like you are the person who just happens to be the goody two-shoes. No, the Holy Spirit comes in you and the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Can I just say that again? The Holy Spirit comes in you and the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Every day, what can you do to be a community creator? Every day, go to Jesus and say, I can't do this on my own. I'm too shy. I'm too hurt. I'm too angry. I'm too frustrated. This person said something mean. This person, I walked up to the group and I felt excluded. This person, they they didn't remember that my parent just died. This person, they didn't understand. They said something that was hurtful. They asked me about this and it offended me. They didn't ask me about this and it offended me. They didn't look at me this way or they said this thing. But if you have the Holy Spirit flowing on you, then you take off the old self with anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy talk from your lips and you put on the new self with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The only way we'll be bound together as a community is through the love of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Will you stand up?